I think a lot of the things that come as part of the startup journey is feeling uncomfortable and having to do things you never thought you would do before. And, and they might scare the hell out of you, but that's how you grow. This is the Let's Grab Coffee podcast, and I'm your host, George Khalife. On this episode, I talked to Michelle Wecker, who's the co-founder and COO at The Tempest. She's also a Forbes 30 under 30 and two-time TEDx speaker. What I love about Michelle's journey is that she went from being a techie to a media entrepreneur, a startup mentor, and honestly, an advocate for a lot of women founders, not only in the Middle East, but really around the globe. But how, like speaking of this whole COVID situation, you were just saying that in Dubai, it's been a bit strict, or I guess more strict than, than maybe mm-hmm. what we're feeling like in, in uh, North America. What, what has that been like for you in terms of the whole kind of quarantine and maybe shed some light as to what the reality is right now in Dubai for people who don't know? To be honest, it's been pretty scary. Um, I started I started taking precautions way earlier. So this I've been in you know I've been self isolating for two months at this point. So, so um, you were in the camp that like took it seriously in the beginning days. Yeah, yeah, and and now you know it's it's one of those things where I had started taking precautions a lot earlier and and um, just was trying to be as careful as I could. And it was very frustrating because then I saw a lot of people still going about not taking it seriously. Um, and then we kind of transitioned to different phases, right? Because we, we started with having this curfew. So we weren't allowed to step out from 8 p.m. to, to 6 a.m., which was pretty doable because, you know, you could still step out. Um, right. but, but they were still cautioning people. And then they put limits into, you know, restaurants and cafes could only have 20% of their seating be occupied. Um, and then it when went was this, there. like in February or, or March? Yeah, or? yeah. This was end of February around. Okay. okay. Um, but then March happened. And then after a couple of weeks of that curfew, then it mm-hmm. went straight into lockdown. So, right. so this essentially means like a 24-7 lockdown. To step out, you need to wear gloves. You need to wear a mask. Um, you need to get a government permit to step out. Um, and, and they've like essentially systemized the whole process. So it's, it's been like, I've seen different phases and then it's, I don't know. It's been pretty scary to be honest. I mean, economically, like I'm, I'm past the shock stage at this point because there was a point where I was still processing everything. And I Mm. think, you know, when you feel like a rug's been pulled from under your feet, I think that's, that's what it initially felt like because this was supposed to be one of our best quarters. And, you know, we, we were on, on a pretty good momentum. And, and so start of February, everything looked incredible and then March happened and then everything got called off. And, and I think it's the first time that I've seen people around me be so mm-hmm. personally affected, like people losing jobs, people not getting paid, people having half pay, like half day policies. And, it, it was pretty brutal because I could kind of, you know, I've always heard about like things going down or when shit gets real, <laughs> but I don't think this I've ever seen. Yeah, this is one of them, but I don't think we've ever experienced anything like this. And I think it was just, it's, I mean, you know, we're trying to do the best that we can, but culturally as well, like we're not a very, like the UAE is still a little bit better and Dubai is a lot better in this aspect, but I think golf as a region and the Middle East as a region, we're not really the most like, let's have online events or, you know, remote working is a very foreign concept here. So so everything is in person, a lot of events, very communal, right? Very, yeah. very. And it's a, lo- a lot of it is also very relationship based, right? So mm-hmm. there's a lot more meeting in person and, and that's just communication styles. But also I think that's where it's interesting because I'm seeing this, this shift because there's no choice but to to switch to online because you can't really stop working and so companies are are just kind of becoming a lot more comfortable with the idea of remote working and i think that's yeah yeah just going digital remote working and i think this is how the future should have been should be yeah (laughs) (laughs) Or, or or it's better like you probably thought this was the case until this happened and you saw how many companies actually weren't digitally inclined Mm-hmm. So I think that was probably the most surprising to me. Or when you, you hear the phrase that, oh, we're, we're just now entering into a digital world or a virtual world. And I'm like, just now, have you not watched Black Mirror? Like this shit's been around for the past 10 years, you know? It's, and, and but I mean, I, I think part of it is, you know, when you talk about innovation and it becomes a buzzword and then you realize yeah, you're not true. even, you're not even prepared at a very basic level. I think I'm that's not even when close. you need to, 
<laughs> I that think that's cool. when you need to open your eyes and just kind of, <laughs> yeah. Man, when, when you see Zoom stock price go up, I'm just like, what is going on right now? Like, and, and Zoom is not a new concept, but obviously this whole like video conferencing and uh, like, granted, obviously I'm, we're, we're speaking about most uh, tech companies. I'm not talking about, you know, the primary industries like manufacturing and fishing and stuff. <laughs> that aside, I'm talking about companies who, you know, in, in our vicinity, that's the ones who were surprising me. But um, speaking of this being a, a more difficult quarter for you, for those who don't know, you're the COO and co-founder of, of The Tempest, yeah. which uh, is obviously a leading media uh, site that, that I think is, is doing the, the best way of storytelling right now on a platform that you could in 2020 with a focus on you know, women leadership, inspiring stories, but also a big focus around mental health and more so as it pertains to the Middle East because there's a huge weird negative connotation around this, both for, for men and women but the focus is obviously on women leadership. Um, so when you say it, it's been a more difficult quarter, I'm a, obviously I, I can understand why, but on the flip side of that, did you see more of an uptick in you know, readership or subscriptions now that people are hanging on to those articles that you and your team write about? Well, firstly, thank you. That was such a lovely intro. I feel like I couldn't have, I couldn't have quite put it the way it you did. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, it's, well, revenue-wise, of course, it's 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 a tough it's a tough time for for media. But I think what we have seen an uptick in is definitely readers and the time that they're spending. So we're right. seeing a lot more readers now. We're seeing people spend a lot more time spending time on reading articles, going from one to the next, and and you know we're definitely seeing a lot more um, click-throughs as well on our social. Mm -hmm. So a lot more people engaging with our content as well and and i think people just have more time to consume content people want to be consumers at this point i think it's the best time to to be creating content but i think a lot of and and and, and that's why we also i think that's where we have a responsibility to be conscious with the kind of messaging we're pushing across right mm. um and and so we've got a lot of different writers I and mean, we've got over two thousand contributors um and then we've got staff writers and whatnot but this is where I'm actually really proud of the editorial team for, for being very responsible with the kind of messaging they were pushing across. Because the truth is, it's been really hard. Like to, to be, you know, to be, and, and I'm sorry, but I'm just going to use the word cooped up because I haven't stepped okay. out in, yeah. in, in what feels like two months. I think I've forgotten what life outside my apartment looks like. But exactly. it's, it's, it's been tough. And, and I personally was facing this whole, you know, the first couple of weeks, everyone kind of was on a productivity high where everybody wanted to be, yeah, it's you know, honeymoon phase, just like anything, yeah. right? The first 30 yeah. days. And, 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 it, and it was all these messaging. Um, yeah. It was all this messaging about just being your most productive self and hustle and this and that. And I couldn't stand it because I was barely coping. And I, and I, you know, I, I do, I have depression, I have anxiety. And so both of these things combined together. Um, I just, it wasn't, I wasn't in the best headspace. And, and, you know, I was starting to see physical symptoms where my whole body clock changed and, 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 and I couldn't really get anything done in the day. And I could barely, it, it just, it, it felt like I couldn't really get stuff done. And then I started looking into it and, and, you know, I actually, one of the, I mean, I love reading and I love learning new things. And I realized it was actually a coping mechanism and, and, and that's why I found myself like watching all these shows or rewatching these classics or just, you know, kind of going back to what feels familiar. Yes. So whether it's friends, whether it's shows or, or just the content you're consuming. And so, so I think that was a big reason that, that I felt like, I, I just feel like, I feel like complete shit for, for not doing more. And, mm. and here, here everyone else is like, they're just, you know, living their best lives. And it just felt frustrating. Picking up a new it's, skill. And, and uh, by the way, yeah. I'm, I'm at fault of this. I just want to mention that. Um, and, and actually, this is a really good point, because this is something, even for me, to be honest with you, uh, when we're talking about this, and my girlfriend's a huge, uh, how am I going to say this component of me learning this about myself, but also being better. So I just want to hit on this topic before we continue, just because it's so critical. And sometimes like she, she kind of describes it as a toxic positive positivity. And, you know, I'm, I'm naturally more optimistic, kind of positive. Always see the light on you know, the tunnel, um, you know, those sorts of things. And I, and I always found it difficult to resonate with 
you know, well, well, it's okay. Let's just get you know, pick back up and, and we'll just pick something new or we'll adapt. But uh, I didn't necessarily have the, the, the right maybe understanding or maturity that different personalities cope with things differently. Mm-hmm. And that's okay too. And the response isn't that you should come and, and give kind of that solution right away. Uh, but rather, and that's something I've also, also learned from Brene Brown. I'm reading her book now, uh, mm-hmm. The Gifts of Imperfection, which I recommend, especially to men, to be honest, who are maybe similar personalities, because that was super difficult. I did not even understand this topic, by the way. And, and I, always, I always had an answer for everything. And that was always how you know, I received communication. And so I thought that, let's say I'm talking to you and you're, you're one of my really good friends. And mm-hmm. you, know, you tell me, George, I'm in a rut right now. I don't know what to do my natural answer would have been, it's okay, just get out of it and, and you know, uh, pick back up. To have a you know, solution. Yeah. yeah, you know, and, and it, it just made you feel worse versus me just kind of sitting there and listen. And, and, and I think that takes courage too from, my, from, from kind of both sides. Anyway, so uh, and it takes that, that resonates to a lot. Able to, I think it takes work and effort to realize your communication patterns, right? I yes. think a lot of times people just want someone to listen to, right? And so, right. so again, it's, it's different needs. And it also like, there's so many different factors that, that come into play, but you know, one thing I had to come to terms with after having four of the worst or what felt like, you know, some of the worst weeks ever, um, that, that I, it was okay that I was coping that the way that I was coping and, and everyone just has a different way of coping. So if, if, if for you being productive and learning new things and really being able to be, to be all that is, is incredible would be, um, you know, if that's just the way that you're coping, then I think it's just going to be different for everyone. Just because I'm not mm-hmm. coping the way that you are is, again, it's not something that I need to beat myself up for. And it really shouldn't be the reason why I'm not able to, you know, just function better. And I think just being more kind to myself and giving myself permission to just feel, I think right. that, that, that took time. And it's, and, and it's something that I wanted to speak up about because I generally feel like I am, I am an introvert, right? So I, mm-hmm. d- I'm, I'm not going to be the first one to go to events um, or, or to be in the most social gatherings. But I, for, for some reason, I think there's a difference between when you have a choice versus when you're forced to stay home. And I think that was one of the biggest realizations was because I'm being forced <laughs> to, to stay home, it's, it's a whole different it's a whole different perspective. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that, that's interesting truth too, from the introvert's perspective, you know, and, and me being an extrovert, I would say, uh, to be honest, I'm a bit of a, a mix. Uh, I, I would say I'm, I'm, I'm that guy who at an event would be very, very social, but when I get home, I need like a full night to recharge, mm-hmm. you know? So I'm a bit of a mix. Um, and, and I did want to ask you actually also on this topic of, cause and I know you were saying like, you know, you'd go on social and you'd see everybody post stuff on IG about, you know, pick up a new skill, be productive, adapt, all this stuff. And you're sitting there and you're like, fuck, like, I, I just don't feel this way. You know, I'm, I'm not in that mindset right now. Yeah. And I've actually, I've seen a lot of my friends drop IG, drop Facebook, Twitter, like literally delete their accounts because they are feeling the same way. So it's kind of a conundrum for you because obviously you have the Tempest that you're running, mm-hmm. uh, which, you know, it's all about putting out content in different formats. How do mm-hmm. you balance your digestion of social media versus the content that you're also contributing? So what the, and that's a really good question, actually. Um, I think I got you, Michelle. (laughs) (laughs) I think there's a difference between, and and I've been very cautious about what what I consume. I'm very particular about what I consume, how I consume it. So tell us about that. What does that look like? What does that look like? So Twitter is my favorite platform. Twitter really? is, yeah, it's one of my absolute favorite platforms. And I, there, Twitter can be a, a nasty judgmental place, but it can also be an amazing place where you get to learn so much and you get to learn from people who are kind and empathetic and who want to share with the world. And I, you know, it's, it's, it's one of my favorite platforms. And so I've been having really interesting conversations and, and just been learning from a lot of incredible people on there and mm. what happens is I think when you it it, it it kind of goes from one thing to the next so you follow a couple of people who are really interesting um, mm-hmm. and then you go from there to reading what they're writing and then you go from reading these interesting Twitter threads to reading articles and blogs and newsletters and I think mm. the the content that I consume I just it's 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 very different in terms of 
my Instagram content because that's a whole different community. I think Twitter and Instagram are different, but I also think people who are very active in both misunderstand the communities that are on each of these platforms. And I see this a lot because I think people still think that Instagram is a tool for perfection and, and visually appealing photos and videos. And it is. I'm not saying it's not, but the kind of community that I've built on Instagram um, personally, and even what we see on the Tempest as well is, you know, it's people who want to learn. And, and I mean, when I'm speaking from a personal aspect, like whatever I learn and unlearn, I share it. And I'm very mm -hmm. honest about what I'm going through from a mental health perspective or when I realize something. And if I feel like, okay, this is what I've learned. I want to share what I'm thinking right now. Mm -hmm. And, and people, want to have these conversations and, and it's the same people who again you know I want to have people consume my content who again are interested in asking questions who are interested in having conversations and discussions and who can disagree respectfully um, I'm I'm not and, and and I think when I'm when I have that mindset and when that's what I'm thinking those are the people I'm pushing at content for not pushing our content, but essentially that's who I'm posting for. Um, and I consider myself as that person, right? So I think it's very different in that aspect. And so I think people in Instagram, like on Instagram are pretty, they want to learn and, and you can find whatever corner you're trying to build. Um, mm -hmm. and, and it's the same with Twitter, where there is a nasty part of Twitter, but, but there's also a really kind part of Twitter. And I think when you discover more people that are like-minded, um, it's just really easy to connect and, and yeah, it's, it's been interesting. So what I did was in the first, um, after the first two weeks of when the whole COVID situation was getting very serious, I actually muted all, anything related to COVID, anything related to Trump, to Bernie Sanders, because these were Good things idea. that were really stressing me out. And I had started feeling extremely sad when I would look at political updates and when I would look at people posting about how serious the situation was. And because mm -hmm. I was taking all the precautions that I could, it was just affecting my mental health because I felt helpless. And so I realized what I need to do is I need to mute these keywords and, I, and I'm just going to not get updates on a very minuscule level. So I muted them. And I think that really helped me because then I wasn't really getting any of these updates. And when, you know, when I saw what was going on with the elections, I just started feeling really disappointed. And I, I just didn't think I could bear with more news. That you was... and I both. It's... <laughs> Yeah. yeah, without having to get into the, the political side, but 100%, mm -hmm. like, especially with some notable figures dropping out, and you're just like, well, mm -hmm. this is like just another repeat of what we saw earlier. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, and actually, what I like about what you're saying is you, you can filter, like, this is why I have sometimes an issue with people who, who shit on social, right? Uh, without giving it a proper chance. And I'm not saying that it's perfect. There is, a, as you pointed out, there's on any, on any platform or any social channel, whether it's even LinkedIn, and I see that sometimes too, which is weird, uh, Twitter, IG, you can always find those bad vices. But on the flip side, it kind of also, it, it hinges on your cho choices, you know, who you follow, who you cho choose to, to, to um, you know, maybe uh, read on, like the, the posts that, that people around you are, are sharing. That's, that's all your choice, right? So if you open up your feed and you just see, and you're filtering through your, your explore, mm -hmm. whatever it is, and you just see picture after picture of, um, you know, really fit people. And, and let's, mm -hmm. say, let's say you're not there yet and that really demotivates you and you're still choosing and you're sitting in your bed and you're like, I don't know, binging on like Ben and Jerry's and you're just like, this, this is terrible. It's obviously not going to make you feel great, you know? Uh, so I think there's, there's one, think one I, portion I, of it. Yeah. yeah, I love the option to filter. I love the option to mute people because sometimes it my helps. friends can be posting about things that I don't want to consume. And if exactly. I'm not in a headspace to have a conversation around it and, and to really, you know, I, I don't want to look at, again, when I felt like my mental health was pretty sensitive and, and I, I didn't feel like I could really cope. And, and this is me feeling really vulnerable, right? I, I, mm -hmm. I just muted a lot of people I didn't want to want to see perspectives from at that point because right. I just didn't think I had it in me. And now I've been right a lot of do. these accounts. Yeah. And, and I that's think whatever right. you need to do to take care of yourself, right? At the end of the day, I think that's, that is important. Um, but speaking of content in the Tempest, so our editors had, they've been very conscious about the content that they've been approving and that they've been really directing and, and guiding, right? And um, what's, what's happened is we've had a lot of, we had an article, this is a couple of weeks ago about how 
the hustle culture is still alive during COVID. And, and it was, the writer really talks about how, again, you know, what you spoke about, toxic positivity and how cope in whatever way you can, but we're seeing this prevalent culture. Um, there were a lot of other sorts of, I mean, I think mental health is again, a very important topic and it is still taboo in so many households. Um, and, and in this part of the world, it is a serious problem where, you know, it's, it's not just that the conversation is taboo, but people don't have access to resources. Therapy is not affordable. You can't really afford it. Um, and, and, and most folks who are earning, um, unless you're earning a certain amount, I think it's difficult to get access to it. And then when you do get access to it, I think talking about it and starting conversations around it is still not easy. And so, so there's so many different challenges that you're navigating. And, and, and I think it's just a lot tougher. So, so when people are consuming content and, and they're reading these articles from these different writers who are speaking up about it candidly, and they're being very upfront and honest, whether it's their relationship um, to, to, you know, with their mental health or whether it's about how things like, you know, there were some questions that, that I didn't even know and, and have answers to. Like, I remember one of the, the, one of the articles by our writers, and this is from a couple of years ago, and it was about finding the right therapist and how that can be such an emotional um, journey, right? Because you're not, you might not always connect with the first therapist um, that you get or you have, and it can take time and effort. And it obviously takes a lot of emotional energy. And I think that was a topic I had never even thought about and I didn't even know. And so there's so much that I've just learned um, from, from all these people who are sharing their experiences. And, and, you know, I'm, I'm thankful that they do because if they didn't, um, I don't know, I just, I feel like, you know, the Tempest and, and the whole reason why I fell in love with the content around four years ago was because it was the first place where I felt like I could resonate and I felt like I belonged. And I've never felt this inclin inclination towards any other media company. Um, or, or content that I've consumed before. So when I felt that the first time, I kind of went on a whole binging. Um, reading. Yeah, yeah, I just, yeah, binging or reading. I think I was, I, I read for three, I think it was like three or four hours. Like I kind of um, read article after article. Um, and at the end of it, I thought, I have never in my life come across a platform like this. And, and, and it just was one of those moments where I, I don't think I felt as happy before just reading stuff and thinking, okay, wow, like I need to. Because you felt connection, right? What, what, felt, what was that story? like? For, for those who don't know, what's the back, I guess, background story of, of how this whole thing came about? Because I think it was with a friend as well and you met them in like the early stages. And so anyways, I'll let you share so, that. But <laughs> just the backdrop. Sure. Yeah, so um, so Leila Alawa is the founder and CEO of The Tempest, and she started this company um, in, you know, we launched in March of 2016. It was a guerrilla launch at South by Southwest, and really it was with one mission, which was to amplify the voices of diverse women and to change the media landscape. Um, I, at that time, was in the Middle East. Um, I've got a tech background in computing security, um, so I was working with startups at that time. And it was, it was the summer of 2016 when I came about an article about third culture kids. And I think if, if and I think George, you and I have spoken about this before, mm -hmm. but you know, third, especially if you're in the Gulf, like you just, you are a third culture kid where, you know, you've grown up in yep. a different region. Your parents are from a different region. You're, you've got bits and pieces of, of everything and the people you've been around and, and, you know, what you've grown up with and, and the place you're in. And it's just an amalgamation. And I think, it's, it's, I think, anyway, golf kids are a whole different breed, but um, it was the first time I'd read an article um, about someone describing that exact experience. And I, and I, that's how I really got hooked onto the website. Um, and then going from there to reading different articles about mental health, about relationships, about personal experiences. And by the end of it, I decided to, to send them an email and ask them if I could write for The Tempest. And it took me exactly a month to, to draft and then redraft and then draft an email again because I didn't have a media background and I just didn't feel comfortable approaching a media company just asking, hey, can I just straight up write for you? Um, and so I've always loved writing since I was a kid, but this just felt like a dream at that point. Um, but, 
but that but that's exactly why the tempest exists it's it's to amplify amplify the voices that aren't being heard and so um I joined as a guest contributor. I remember my first article was actually about Canva. It was like a guide to how you can um, really? design. Yeah. <laughs> Out of all the top. <laughs> no, <I'm just> <laughs> Canva's yeah. awesome. But, but, <laughs> but it, was, it was that. And then I was writing about my experiences of being, being a woman in tech because I've had a lot of sexist experiences and people mm-hmm. saying statements like, you know, they can't see me behind a screen to, to just questioning and not taking my ser- my questions about encryptions and protocols seriously. Um, so, and, and again, this is keeping in mind that I was one of two girls to graduate from my class, right? So I was in a very technical field, um, but had a lot of these experiences and I wanted to write about them because I knew other women in tech were also facing these experiences and I, and I felt like it was a great outlet to really speak about it. Um, but I realized that Tempest didn't have a tech um, vertical at that time. So I started the tech vertical um, and then went from there to becoming, um, yeah, it, it took around six months. So I ended up building platforms and different tools for the Tempest. And I started working with the co-founder a lot more. And, and it was really just because I, I loved the mission of the company. I loved the culture and I, and I believed in what they were doing. And, and, you know, I think it was the end of December in 2016 when Layla asked me to join as a co-founder. So that's really, and, and I hadn't met her before. So this had all been, so we've been a remote team from the start. So we had just really, we just knew each other online um, and we'd been working with each other online for a couple months. So, so that happened. Um, I joined as a co-founder in 2017. So this is in January. Damn, so you actually, you, you joined as a partner without even meeting the other co-founder. Is that yeah. True? Damn, that's <laughs> great. First, the first time we met was actually in May. So I had just graduated and in my alma mater's in Rochester. So I, I went from Dubai to Rochester for my graduation. And then I met Layla in New York City. So that was- that What was, was that really like? Cool. Were you like, oh, so hey, we, you know, we've been working <laughs> together for like four years. <laughs> Good to meet you. Let's get some ice cream. Like, well, how, how was that interaction? It was, it was a very different react. Well, mm, <laughs> it was very different because I think it's because in New York City, because it was, like a dream city and it was on my bucket list for like the longest time and I went there and people were so nasty and we yeah. were staying we were and, and you know we were it's staying aggressive. In <laughs> it's aggressive. yeah I mean it, people were, were mean and I think I'd, I've just been very sheltered I guess in the places that I've lived in before <laughs> um the last time I was in the U.S. I, I was living in Texas and Texas is very different to New York City More um, chill. Granted, yeah Um, but it was just a very different experience Um, but but meeting her was amazing it kind of didn't feel like we hadn't known each other we just instantly clicked we were staying together at an airbnb and and we were staying at the bronx so you know really got to experience new york city um and it was incredible i think i didn't i didn't i didn't know what to expect going into it i was just really excited because i felt like i was going to meet my best friend um and then of course the city was different but that's that has nothing to do with with how I felt about her um and it just I don't know I was just really happy and I was also in a la la land at that time because um I think just how I I viewed the world um and startups in my eyes it was very like hunky-dory like just la la land version Uh um you know everything was going great we were just gonna make it um and so it was after that, and during that summer, we decided to open up our first office in the Middle East. So I registered the company here in the UAE. Um, and, and we really did that because we had had a growing audience in the UAE, in, in Saudi, and in the Middle East. And, and it made sense because nobody else was doing content the way we were doing it. So that started a whole different journey. And I think that really was a pivotal moment in my life because everything changed after that. And, and, you know, when you see like reality crashing on you and, and you realize like, oh, um, this is everything. Real. Yeah, this is real. <laughs> but you, but um, you know what I love about your story and, and just kind of uh, putting a checkpoint here, because I think for a lot of people, I don't want them to miss this piece of it, because I think what, what happened was so critical. And just to summarize it, I think what, what is so critical in, in this kind of piece of the journey is uh, you didn't necessarily. So this was like your pretty much your first introduction to the startup space. You know, here we have a woman who's trying to crush it in tech and entrepreneurship, but also, uh, unfortunately, lives in the Middle East, where, especially in the past, and it's getting better now, but still has a lot of ways to go in terms of 
that patriarch right and so mm-hmm. you're trying to shine there and, and there's a lot of you know uh, weird commentary around you in terms of the environment not being as supportive as maybe we see in, in the US or Canada mm-hmm. um, and and I think what you did was, which was which was really really uh, critical again is is the fact that you you showed value up front first you didn't come in like hey I want to be a co-founder I want to be an advisor day one you're like okay well let me show you value super passionate about this you kept providing ideas you figured out different ways you know uh, to help make the platform not just better but more efficient more effective you introduced a new vertical and that's what led to you becoming a co-founder so for a lot of people listening especially who don't have experience you don't need to work at google or facebook you know to to work at earlier stage startups because i think that's kind of the, the misconception right i think um if you're super passionate about their product service whatever uh, they're servicing you can get into it in different ways and, and just by being creative and resourceful. So a hundred percent, a hundred percent. And, and, you know, George, that was a very tough time. Um, just personally, because I was working with two startups there. Um, so the Tempest was really the third thing that I was working on. And it was just because I was passionate about, um, the company, the mission and everything else that I just said. Right. So I think managing that with, um, having an overload and in, in the coursework that I was taking, um, but wh- where I saw my career heading was I wanted to be a pen tester because like I said, right, like security really was what I had experience in um, and, and tech was where I was heading and that's where I saw my career. Um, so, so it was that, but I just still didn't feel like just because of my background, it's that doesn't mean that I can't still be part of this company and, and can't, you know, really be valuable. Um, and, mm-hmm. and so, you know, I think when you go above and beyond, and, and this was my biggest lesson really is, you know, when you go above and beyond and, and you do things, not everything has an instant. Um, I think we're used to instant gratification just in general. And I think not everything needs to lead up to that. At that point, I had not even in my wildest dreams thought I would end up becoming the co-founder. Um, so when that happened, it was the most unexpected moment, I think. And, and you know, it was one of those points where it just felt like everything was unreal. And, uh, yeah, it just, you know, I think that just completely changed my perception on just reality as well. But that's um, the best because you didn't have that expectation, right? It's like when they say expectation is a thief of joy, right? Or happiness or whatever that quote mm-hmm. is. But, uh, if, if you go in with, with the expectation, I think that's where a lot of people fall off, especially on social channels. Like you can relay this in anywhere in sales mm-hmm. and BD. Um, but if you, if you genuinely just put value up front to people you or, or products or companies that you love and you really want to back, eventually that's going to come back to you, right? It's, uh, it's that, that reciprocity is going to, going to be generated, but within time, if you come in and, and do it, like, let's say, let's take the other example where you, you, you came into the Tempest, wrote three articles, and then you were like, all right, Leila, what's, what's up now? Like, are we, you know, are we signing anything formal? Are we going to open an office? If you did that, I'm sure it would have went sideways. You know, so, so that's another yeah. important point. Yeah. Like, just don't have that upfront expectation. I mean, obviously have a vision, have a plan, whatever. But if you come in with hard expectations early, you might be disappointed if they don't go your way. Definitely, definitely. And I think that's an important lesson as well. Um, because even when we pick folks in our team, right? Like we, we so I also went through the fellowship program. Um, mm. and, and so the fellowship program is this mentoring and training program. And, you know, get you get... Um, experience about how to build a portfolio, you, you get to write a lot, um, you rotate between different verticals, and it's one of the most incredible programs that, that I've ever participated in. Um, but 99% of our hires have actually been through the program because that is a program where you can actually prove um, how you are, your work ethic, your working style, your, your, you know, what kind of initiatives you're taking. And it was at that time, so I actually got recruited in the midst of the program and, and got promoted to becoming an editor halfway through because of the work that I was doing. Um, and in full credit to Layla, to be honest, to, you know, who, who saw that. And, and that's also the kind of culture that she's built where, you know, we, we give people a chance, even like regardless of your background or your experience, all of those things matter. But if you've got passion, determination, and you've got a drive to really get things done, you know, we would prefer that, not just prefer that, but like, those are the kind of people we want to work with. Those are the people we want to be around. And those are the people that are in our team. Mm. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. Like you went through basically the, the ringer before 
mm-hmm. I, I think I think that's why it's so important. It's like anything in life, right? And 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 you see this too from like top tier schools when when students graduate. Like I see this more in the finance world. You know, they they want everything today, without going through <laughs> yeah. basically the ranks, right? And I'm not saying that you have to go through. You know, I mean, you can carve your own path and stuff like that, but it's important to also build a technical foundation. So when you're in a managerial leadership role, you also have substance behind it. Yeah. You know, nobody wants to be managed by someone who doesn't understand anything they're doing, right? Like it's just yeah. not, you won't have respect for them, right? That's why, for example, in sports, you respect, uh, let's say a former athlete who's now a commentator because from their vantage point, it's very different than someone who's just been, who's been doing news reporting their entire life. You know, as, as technical as they, they want to sound like, they've never, they were never in the ring per se. You know, George, it's interesting because the other thing is also like, you know, being young and being a female founder is, it's, it's, it's so different. Um, and, and I think the expectation because you're young and, and so I say that because I've had so many experiences where we're still undermined. Yeah. Um, and, and, and it's not just undermined, like, you know, I, I can't count the number of meetings that I walk into where I have to prove what I'm saying and, and I have to demand respect. And I have to communicate in a way where it's not automatically a given. And, and that, is, that is not an experience everybody has, but you know, it's hard. It's, it's hard. And, and because, I mean, you know, we've, we have millions of readers. I mean, last year our articles were, were read more than 54 million times. And so when, when you build something that's got so much traction and, and you build this loyal audience and in this, this reader base, right. And then, you you go from from there to 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 walking into meetings you know you have first-hand data you know what you're talking about you know your numbers you know everything that you're speaking about with conviction but people still question you and and you know it's it 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 can be it can be difficult but sometimes i know initially it used to be a little bit you know in in my first year like i was it was so nervous. Like I used to be so nervous. Like I would be very particular about the way that I spoke and what I was wearing. And it was just, you know, the way, like I wanted to look older and I wanted to look more experienced because, because it was just hard. And I think by the end of my second year, I just kind of stopped giving a shit. And it was just like, you're going to listen. And I think my attitude just changed because at that point, like it's, you know, it, it became less about, and then I think when you hear bullshit enough times, there comes a point where you're like, okay, you know what? Um, I understand what you're saying. I hear you, but this is my opinion and this is why it matters. And, and mm. you're going to listen. Um, and I think your approach just changes. And, and so, you know, struggling through that because you have this, and, and, and I don't know if you've experienced this, but of course. I've felt so much of imposter syndrome where, yeah. where, where I feel like I'm, I'm lucky to be in this place. I feel like a fraud for, 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 you know, for having the position that I have. And for some reason, I, I haven't felt like I was worthy. And, and when that happens, it, it just like, I can't explain how, 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 how demoralizing it can be. And so going through that, having to fight that, and then, you know, you're, you're fighting this internal battle and then you're fighting this external battle. It can be tough. Um, it's hard for anyone though. Like I'll tell you, uh, I mean, obviously I resonate a lot being, so I'm basically like, like the youngest VP right now at the TSX and uh, especially within our team. Uh, and um you know, I, I think for me, especially being on the sales BD side, uh, it was always, I mean, thankfully, I look older. To be honest, that helps a lot. I have a beard, uh, which I'm very grateful for now. I wasn't so <laughs> grateful for it in high school because it was just weird. But uh, now it helps a lot. And I think even with that, like I would always, for example, keep it just so that I can look older. Or when someone would ask, you know, how old are you? Because I'm literally, I'm always surrounded by people who are older than me all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I almost internalized that I was like 30, you know, at least, or like yeah. 40, even though I'm in my mid twenties. Um, and, and every time the question would come up, to be honest, I would hesitate a little bit. You know, do I, do I say it? Like if I fuck, if I say I'm 26 with a room full of like partners or CEOs or CFOs, I might not be, you know, credible enough. And, and that's a legitimate fear that everyone will, will kind of go through. And, and yeah. exactly what you pointed out is what I went through. I just stopped caring. And eventually, you know, just being in my own skin and, and kind of removing that mask, uh, led to much more fruitful relationships. And for those who also didn't care about what my age was, what they cared about was, can you be a value? Can you execute? Do you know what you're talking about? That's what really, really matters if you're talking to the right people. And you're going to mm-hmm. come across people who those stuff don't matter and they just want you to be 35 or 40 or some arbitrary weird ass number. 
in which case it's fine, man. We don't have to do business. It's cool. I respect you. And, and when the time comes, you know, maybe things will turn around. But for the time being, if, if it's hurting you that I'm 26, then, you know, we're not meant to, to, to talk right now. It's cool. I'm, I'm you know. getting this image of like my cross with Harvey Specter because <laughs> <laughs> he was the youngest partner and, and you know, the way when, when you're talk when you were talking and it just, yeah, that was the image that I was getting, but this, but, this, this is an amazing compliment. I'm going to cherish this for the entire uh, period of my life. <laughs> <laughs> I love um, my cross and I love, I mean, I love suits, yeah. um, Harvey's a beast. but especially because they used to record in Toronto, really but. <laughs> it, is, it is difficult, right? And I, for a lot, you know, what's funny too on this topic. I, I had a call with a with a guy recently, and um, and he's so he's in Toronto, works in uh, in Walmart, but on the corporate side, and he mm -hmm. was telling me the same thing. He was asking me that question, like, how do you how do you stay confident when you're a younger professional, especially when you feel intimidated? And I've heard this so many times, man. And that's why, and people think like you're just automatically confident, you know. And that that wasn't the case. I I, I still struggle with it today, believe it or not. It's something I always have to work on. So anyways, that's why I resonate a lot with what you were saying. Can I, can I, can we have a different episode where I interview you and ask you your journey and, and have a conversation Anytime. around that? Anytime. I got Cause, cause, cause I would love to, I'd love to interview you and just not even interview, just have a conversation. Cause I want to learn more yeah. about your journey and just, um, would love how to. you got here. Would love to, man. That, that's why we're doing this. This is basically like the, the, the convo, but, um, I'm I'm excited, man, because because also a lot of you know a lot of people in my community who are aspiring women founders uh, look for these conversations. And what's even uh, you know cooler about your story, apart from the accomplishments, you know, obviously the Forbes 30 under 30, which was very cool to see, um, and then more 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 recently your TEDx. That's what I wanted to ask you actually is mm -hmm. how how was that? Because so obviously it's been a while, but you just launched it uh, or it just mm -hmm. got released. So check it out. How was that like when you step on that red circle? Uh, sorry, red carpet that's like a circle, uh, you know, and the lights are on and now everything is silent and you kind of hear your breath on the mic. What what was that feeling like for you? <laughs> so I'll tell you a secret, uh, which I guess is not going to be a secret anymore because uh, I'm it's, saying it's it now. <laughs> but uh, so I was so nervous when I was walking towards um, the stage and I my heart started beating really, really fast and I felt like my ears started ringing and I have stage fright. And I get extremely nervous before I get on stage. And even like just public speaking like scares the hell out of me, but that's why I do it. Um, but anyway, so I, because I was nervous and I wanted to calm down, I asked everyone to close their eyes and take a deep breath so I could close my eyes and take a deep breath. <laughs> Without them hearing you. <laughs> that's a, that's no, I told, every, yeah, I told everyone like, you know what, like, let's just do this. And that's how I started my talk and it, and it worked. That does help though. <laughs> It worked. It worked. Um, it was an incredible experience. Um, to be honest, I hadn't were really you happy? prepared. Like, were you happy I, with the outcome? By the end of it, I was. I, and, and it's the okay. first time I've actually felt proud of myself because normally I feel I'm very harsh as a critic Self -critical. towards myself. Yeah. yeah, very, very critical. And after every talk, I will tear down everything wrong that I did and think about it for a very long time. Mm -hmm. um, but this was the first time that I, I gave myself permission to to just, just let be it be happy. yeah just let it be yeah. just be happy and felt proud because my so the first time I ever spoke on stage um was at a TEDx so I've this was my second TED TED talk um oh, the so first I one that. I thought this was the, the first one the first one was in 2017 and I was okay. really nervous and it it was like you'll see a world's difference between how I was then and how I am now because I think okay. just my life experiences have have changed me as a person um, and, and, you know, when you've battled something like, I mean, when you've battled suicide and you've battled the absolute lowest points, right. Whether it's being broke, whether it's just being through when people say like, you know, we've been through shit, like what, like it, it's, it's, you know, sometimes it's a little bit critical because when you've been through the absolute worst of situations and, and you've had bad health and everything just kind of combined together, and you come out of that and you're, you're able to really battle it out, um, you know, there's not a lot of things that will scare you as much. So when you speak, it's just different because when you have one bad experience after the other, you just think, what's the worst that could happen? And I don't want to say that by, and, and I don't want to jinx myself right now, but um, when I, that, that was what I kept reminding myself about was that, you know, I've like, what I have to say is valid and in my experiences are, are valid. And so I just thought I, 
needed, I, I was going to talk about three different points. Um, and that's kind of what I had in mind. Um, and then when I went on stage, that's what I spoke about. I think that helped. Um, of course, I was quite nervous about um, forgetting everything because because sometimes I forget what I'm going to say because I have all these different thoughts in my head. Um, but but once I went on stage and I started talking, it just kind of it happened and then it was over. And yeah, <laughs> it's like a blur. You know, you don't even remember what what had happened. Yeah, it goes by so quick. You know, it's like it 10, did. 15 minutes and it feels like a minute or something. Yeah, yeah. That's cool. Kudos to you for the second one. Um, one more for you, and, and oh, it's kind of in two parts, but um, w- what advice would you give now to uh, specifically women listening to the podcast, listening to your story, who are intrigued, you know, want to get into entrepreneurship, not sure where to start? And then following, with, following that is um, maybe kind of one resource that has helped you the most, whether it's a book, an, a, a, I don't know, an article, something you've read, something you've encountered. What, what was that like for you? Okay, so the first part, um, my advice to female founders. So I'll start with the reality. And the reality mm-hmm. is it's tough because the statistics, whether you look at statistics, whether you look at challenges, whether you think about unconscious bias, none of them are, are you know, really in our odds. Um, so it's tough to be a founder in general and, and startups have a 90% rate of failure anyway, but being a female founder in particular is really tough. That means, you know, when it comes to investment and fundraising and challenges you've had, it will be tougher. I'm not saying every founder has had this experience, but this is what most or the majority of us have felt like, um, in an experience, um, in 2018, I mean, you know, 2.2% of VC funding out of $100 billion went to female founders. So, so it's tough. Now that's out of the way. The other part is it doesn't matter because if you have an idea and if you have a startup you believe in, battle it out. Like m- things will never be perfect and things will, will never or, or rarely really just you know align in the way that you want them to. Like if that happens, that's incredible. But if they're not, um, don't give up. Um, and, and you need to be your strongest advocate. You need to be your cheerleader and you need to really believe in yourself and, and you need to find other people who will believe in what you're, you're trying to do because that, that, that's, that's really, I think that's key. Um, you have to find those people who are going to believe in your idea and take that risk, whether it's joining you as, as an employee, whether it's joining as a co-founder, whether it's joining as a customer. Right. And, and you're constantly, you're constantly pitching to, to, to people. And, and that's just, I think that just comes with being part, like when you're a founder, it just comes as part of the job is you learn how to pitch and you learn how to tell the story about your startup. And, and I think the other thing is it doesn't matter if you're an extrovert or an introvert, if you're not comfortable, I think a lot of the things that come as part of the startup journey is feeling uncomfortable and having to do things you never thought you would do before. And, and they might scare the hell out of you, but that's how you grow. And, and, and if, if there's anything that I've learned, I think that's the most important one is, you know, you're going to make it. And, and, this, and, and until, until we have more women running startups and, and really breaking this, you know, really, the, the, you know, there, there, there are women who are paving the way. And there's different women in different industries and, and fields who are doing amazing work right now who are not being recognized. And, and I wish each of them could be recognized because, because there is so much of undeserved recognition um, that goes to people. Um, and, and, you know, like just the way the media landscape works is just twisted and messed up a lot of times. But, but you know, the more of us that, that do this, I think like that's, that's really my biggest advice is, you know, keep, keep going at it. Um, if you're listening to this right now, please reach out to me or my co-founder or reach out to The Tempest. We would love to feature you. Um, and, and support in whatever capacity we can. That's the actionable thing that I can do. Um, but even in terms of advice, like there are so many different women who are championing others, who are mentoring them and coaching them, right? And I think that's like, find these champions for yourself, um, build these relationships. And, and I think we're all in this together at, at the end of the day. Like that's what I truly believe because I, 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 I see this as like the more women who get ahead, the easier it'll be for me. Or, or when I get to that stage. And, and if I can support and give back, right? I, I'm a strong believer of karma and just, you know, what you do is what you get. I think when, when you have support, 
you owe it to the world to give it back to people. Um, so that's just the way that I see things. Um, but, but in terms of actionable advice, right? Like I would say, look at the accelerators and incubators that are in your region that are specific to where you live. Um, there are also online programs now. So look at those um, startup school tech stars. They have incredible resources online that are completely available for free, right? So um, go through them um, or, or, you know, just, I guess it, it, it all depends on how you're trying to grow, but, you know, be as resourceful as you can. And, and that's the one thing that I've learned is, you know, sometimes if you don't have the luxury of having big budgets and, and as startups, most of the times we don't, um, and then we're just bootstrapped and we're just trying to survive another day, right? Um, make sure that, you know, try to be as creative as you can and as resourceful as you can with the least amount that you have. Because when it's about surviving another day, wishing you had a bigger budget doesn't help. It's just, it's again, you know, th those, those individual messages, making use of your networks, the people who are around you. And, and I think that's, that's just how, how you do it. Gotcha. I love that piece. No, that, that's, that's, that's really important. And so for, for those looking to maybe collaborate or get involved, uh, best way to contact you would be any of my socials, um, Instagram LinkedIn, or IG. Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> LinkedIn is still a platform that scares me a little bit. I don't think of, I know how to use, use it, it more, too well. <laughs> I I need to learn how to use it better, but I'll admit We've got to talk I'm about not. A... This then. I'll help you out. I'll yeah. help you out. Okay, I would appreciate that. Um, and then but you the can other help thing, me write some more more content <laughs> in, in blog I, format. I I love that. I I, th I love writing. So you know, writing is always incredible. But I think the other thing is also um, try to be the best version of yourself that you can be. And I don't mean that in a like a you know I can understand how that sounds condescending, but. Um, a lot of things I've just self-learned and so has my co-founder. Um, I didn't have an experience background in sales. I didn't have a background in a lot of the things when it came to user growth and a lot of different things. So because there are all those different resources online and people who share their experiences and are, are you know, they, they put out, all, there's a lot of incredible content and I don't think we always make the best use of it. So I think if like look at articles and books and, and programs that, that, you can find this on and improve yourself. And I think soft skills are an incredible skill to have when, it, and I don't know whether we should call them soft skills because they're just essential skills that I think people should have. Um, but the other part is also the financial aspect. Um, mm. I see a lot of founders who don't take salaries. And if this is your full-time job, I think you owe it to yourself to, to pay yourself if you have the budget for it um, and, and make that a priority. Um, and I know it's difficult, because I've gone, you know, I've gone a long time. So with my co-founder, where we always take the first fall if anything happens financially, right? Um, mm -hmm. Or if there are any hiccups. But, and, and I understand that comes as being a co-founder or a founder, but, but, you know, you owe it to yourself to pay yourself. Um, and, and I think that's important. And I think if you're having to work a different, like, because a lot of times what, what happens is some people will, um, you know, you work part-time, jobs to and then you don't have enough time to work on your actual startup so it's different for everybody and obviously i'm not saying there's any right or wrong way but but i really do feel like if you can prioritize doing that um and, and getting yeah i think that's that's an important one that i learned because i thought i i would feel guilty for even getting like a, do a single dollar for for work that i was putting in and then i had to realize like i don't have a financial cushion that i can fall back on and so after learning that the hard way, that's how like I had to convince my co-founder as well to, to really start taking, you know, an, an, a salary and, and for us to prioritize that. Love it. That's amazing. Well, thank you so much. I, I appreciate you sharing the journey, uh, especially those, those few lessons uh, kind of towards later end of this episode, because I think a lot of people can resonate with that. So thanks again. And, and this is, by the way, the second time we record this. So <laughs> thank you Love for it. having me, George. This was a really great conversation. If you found this podcast useful, make sure to share it out with your community. And if you haven't already done so, subscribe to the podcast. And I'll see you next time.